Let us pray. O Christ, our hope in life and death, help us, O Lord, to follow your command and to journey into the wilderness. Help us, O Lord, when we find ourselves weary and tired and thirsty and hungry. Help us, O Lord, strengthen our faith that we might fix our eyes upon You, that we might desire You and want You and love You. Help us, O Lord, to realize the wonderful wisdom of God that can only be seen in the wilderness, the rock of our salvation. And so may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Our passage today is the first seven verses of the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus. And it's filled with relevance and significance, profound signs and symbols and names. You see, our passage this morning is the third time in which the Israelites grumble and quarrel because of lack of physical provision. We see this in chapter 15, in chapter 16, in chapter 17. And if you've been following along our Bible reading plan, our lectionary, then you have read these chapters these week, this week. And I'm sure that you recognize what I'm about to say. But let me review First, in chapter 15, after the Lord's miraculous sweetening of the bitter waters of Marah, we learn that that if the people would diligently listen to the Lord, he would graciously care and heal them. He would graciously care for them and heal them. And in chapter 16, when the Lord miraculously provides heavenly manna, we learn that if the people would gather the Lord's provision... He will satisfy and strengthen and show them his blessed pattern of work and rest, which would be fully revealed in Mount Sinai. And in chapter 17, our passage today, when the Lord miraculously provides for Israel the water that flows from the rock, we learn that the condition of their salvation concerns more with El Shaddai than with them. You see, Moses is a messianic type. If Moses is to pass on before this people with some of the elders and with his staff, which is a symbol of God's presence and power and an instrument of his judgment in delivering Israel, then the Lord will stand before him on the rock. You see, there's great symbolism and meaning and significance in this passage. You see, we have come this week, as we've been journeying through Exodus, we have come to the climactic event this morning. We learn that Israel's testing in the wilderness is not for her to complete. It's for her to realize. And that's what we learn in the wilderness. We realize the wonderful wisdom of God. And this is why we must stay in the story 
Yes, we must stay in the story so that we see more vividly the practical wisdom of how the Lord strengthens our faith and our trust in Him. But also that we may see the comfort, right? The comfort of our Lord, who He is, and what He would accomplish as Israel's substitute. He's not only our peace, but He is our provision. And so what are the lessons that we ought to learn from this passage? If we are to travel through this wilderness, what should we learn? So if you have your Bibles or your service booklets, I ask that you turn to our Exodus passage, Exodus chapter 17. And so the first lesson that we ought to learn is that the Lord commands us to go into the wilderness. We read in verse 1 that the congregation of the people of Israel moved according to the commandment of the Lord. Where? To the place where there was no water for the people to drink. If we are to be the people of faith, then we must expect to be tested. We must expect to find ourselves in places where difficulty and danger and death seem so near. Yes, we must, ex- we must plan to experience trials of various kinds. But we should not just plan to experience them. We should joyfully receive them. Why? Because the testing of our faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that we may be complete, lacking nothing. It was the Lord's command that led them to the place where there was no water. And we must not think that the Lord will not have us to suffer. In an age of consumerism and convenience, we must be on guard from inundating our souls with distractions from suffering. Rather, let us joyfully receive our sufferings. It's the Apostle Peter who writes that it's through our sufferings that we are joined to Christ. There is great wisdom in the wilderness when we suffer so much. And so I ask, when has the Lord led us to Rephidim where there is no water? Maybe some of us are even now parched and longing to be refreshed. Do not return to entertainment. Do not turn to social media or to any other distraction. Rest in the Lord. Turn to Him. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But how, you might ask? By getting in the great holy story. God has given us a glorious gift that is to strengthen our hearts and to refresh our souls. Yes, we must meditate on the promises of God found in the holy scriptures. We must pray the Psalms. The older I get, the more important I realize, or the more I realize how important it is to pray the Psalms. I had a theology professor who said that the Psalms is a commentary of the Holy Scriptures. 
And it's so true. We must meditate on the Holy Scriptures and we must pray the Psalms for we will find great comfort and strength in them. Yes, let us speak boldly to the rock of our salvation who has already been struck for our sake. Let us enjoy the peace and the provision of the Lord. And the second lesson that we learn is that the wilderness makes our faith strong. It makes us strong in faith and love for the Lord. We read that Israel moved according to the commandment of the Lord, where there was no water for the people to drink, and that the people quarreled with Moses, and that they grumbled against him. On one hand, we find the Israelites obeying the commandment of the Lord, Yet on the other hand, they are quarreling and contentious with the servant of the Lord. So what happened between their obediently following the Lord's command and their quarreling with Moses? What happened in between? Well, the answer is that we, they were tried and they were tested. You see, their obedience led them to the place that there was no water for them to drink. And so we discover that their compliance was cloaked with their comforts. The moment that they are stripped from their comforts and their cravings are no longer satisfied, we find their faith and their love exposed. We discover that they are missing the mark, that they don't really love the Lord, that they don't really believe in Him. You see, their willingness to follow may be strong, but their faith and their love for the Lord is weak. They're following the Lord for the wrong reasons. They're following Him with their bellies, not with their hearts. They love Him for what they can get, not for who He is. If we are to follow the Lord, then we must go through the wilderness. It's unavoidable. Israel was not exempt from being tested, and neither was Christ. The wilderness is the anvil of transformation. It is the place whereby we are pounded and forged and formed. It is the place where the people of God are stripped from their comforts and are tried and tested. Why? So that their faith and their love for the Lord may be made strong. It is the wilderness that makes our faith and our love for the Lord strong. I said, going through the six-month period of discerning as to whether the Lord would have us to leave the Navy and to come to all saints, I found myself repeating this statement that, that the Lord stirred our faith and gave us the courage to walk through this door. And that's what happens when you go through the wilderness. He stirs your faith. He makes it strong. He gives you the courage to obediently walk through the door that you should walk through. You see, the, the Lord strengthens our faith and our love for Him. How else will we be declared righteous if not of the faith that we have in the One who makes us righteous? He strengthens our faith. And our faith needs to be strong. 
And the third lesson that we find is that the wilderness is where the wonderful wisdom of God, saving grace in Christ Jesus is realized. The wilderness is where we realize the wonderful wisdom of God. The wilderness is where we follow the Lord's commandment and discover that we don't want to be there. It's where we find ourselves thirsty and hungry and weary. It's where we are tempted and tried and tested. It's where we are forged and made fit for following our Lord in his promise. Yes, the wilderness is where we realize the wonderful wisdom of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. And this is what we see in this passage. You see, the scene that stands before us is that of a stark contrast between Moses, a messianic symbol, and the quarreling and the grumbling Israelites, a symbol of us. You see, the people of Israel, they grumble and complain and quarrel and demand and accuse. They demand that Moses give them water to drink in verse 2. They act as if Moses is to serve their whims and their wills. They behave as if they believe that he is their savior. You see, their attention is not on the Lord and neither is it really on Moses. It's on the devices and the desires of their own hearts. And as a result, they make an idol and an obstacle out of Moses. How else will they hear those loving words enter in my good and faithful servant if they are not strengthened in their faith to love and to serve the Lord? You see, we must be tempted and tested that we might be welcomed into the gates of everlasting, of the everlasting Father's home. You see, and when Moses did not give them what they wanted, their frustration escalates to contempt. In verse 3, we are told that they grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? As far as they are concerned, they're going to die or thirst And they're not going to do it before they kill Moses. After all, Moses cries out in verse 4 for the Lord to help him because they are ready to stone him. You see, the grumbling and the quarreling of Israelites are like us. They are weak and contemptuous complainers. They easily forget the wonderful works of God and how he delivers them from the Egyptians, how he parted the Red Sea. How he rained down bread from heaven. But then we see Moses, don't we? We see how he inquires of the people, how he directs them to repent and to believe. We see how he cries out for the Lord to help him. You see, at a moment of distress, Moses does not result to quarreling or even vengeance. But he cries out to the Lord. He does not test the Lord. He does not fight the people. Notice how Moses responds to their demand in verse 2. He does not demand them to get in line, but offers two questions that reveal their contempt is not with him, but their contempt is with the Lord. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
And later on we learn that he names this place Massah and Meribah because they tested and quarreled. You see, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? In other words, he's saying that I am not your servant, but I am the servant of the Lord. I'm not the one who can save you. You're fighting with the Lord, not with me. Why do you test the Lord? Have you no fear? Later in verse 7, we learn what the substance of their testing is. They were testing whether or not the Lord was among them. You see, their contempt is with the Lord because they had followed him and found themselves in a place that they did not want to be. This is what it feels like to be wandering in the wilderness. And so let us be on guard from feelings of anxiety and fear that gripped us and churn us into ourselves, that distract us from the Lord, that drive us to fight the wrong people. They will cause us to suffer unnecessary pain and loss. Beware of anxiety and fear. For they will creep into our hearts and they will make us to test the Lord. We would do well to remember that the Lord is testing us because he loves us and is saving us. That is why he's testing us. That's why we're in the wilderness, suffering and thirsty and hungry and weary. Because he's drawing us closer. He's revealing his wonderful wisdom. He's saving us. See, like the Israelites, our faith is weak. But because he is testing us, he is making us strong. And notice how Moses cries out to the Lord in verse 4. He says, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. When, grumbling and quir- the quir- when the grumbling and quarreling Israelites provide an example of those who suffer distress and serve themselves... Moses provides an example of suffering distress and serving God faithfully. Instead of calling upon God to vindicate him, instead of forming an army to arrest and destroy them, instead of raising his staff to show them that God's power is with him, Moses cries out to God in contempt, not in contempt toward them, but in humble service to the Lord. He's the servant of their redemption. He's the foreshadowing of Christ himself. He is vexed. He is troubled. He is aware that his life is in their hands. But he is faithfully serving the Lord. Are you vexed? Are you troubled? Do you find yourself filled with anxiety? Do you feel as if your life might be seized at any moment? Rest in the Lord. Pray that collect that we just prayed earlier. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Rest in the Lord and you will find strength. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, when we rest in the Lord, when we cry out to Him for help, He gives us the wonderful wisdom of God. 
our salvation. Notice how Moses shows dimly what Christ shows vividly. He's the one who passes on before Israel with his servant, servants and his symbols and his symbols of divine power and presence and judgment. He passes Israel by not to leave her in the dust. No, he passes her by to lead her to the rock. He takes with himself the elders as the Lord tells him to. But the Israelites stay behind. But what power that inspires for the Israelites when they see him boldly and strongly walking by with his shoulders back, his head held high, and those elders walking behind him. And those elders come back, can you only imagine their faces after seeing the miraculous miracle? When that water gushes forth from that rock and they come back to those Israelites And then suddenly the army of God is united. They are made strong. They are moving forward in obedience to the Lord's command. They're not just following in compliance. No, they are walking in faith and love for Him. You see what the Lord does when we come together and we walk side by side. We see the gospel together and we strengthen those who are left behind. And this is what the Lord does. He has Moses and the elders pass by, not to leave her in the dust, but to lead her to the rock. We read in verse 6 that the Lord says to Moses, I will stand before you there on the rock. You see, the Israelites thought that they were wanting water to refresh them. But they discovered that it is only the rock that will refresh them. And this is what happens in the wilderness. We are made wise. Yes, he passes on before the people and he strikes the rock. In other words, God, through his son, would strike not his chosen people, but would strike himself. You see, Moses is that messianic symbol. He is an image of the foreshadowing Christ who is to come, who would be struck by the very judgment of God for our sake. And this is why the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. You see, Paul is referring to God providing Israel with bread from heaven in Exodus 16. And he's referring to God providing water from the rock here in Exodus 17. This word rock is is a common Old Testament name for God. We see it in Deuteronomy 32. And it appears at both the beginning and near the end of their wilderness wanderings in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20. And when the Lord had delivered David from Saul and his enemies, David said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. And in the New Testament, we get this memorable passage from Christ himself when he says, upon this rock, 
I will build my church. You see, our Lord is speaking of himself. He is the rock. And this is why the rock was to be struck. This refers to the death of Christ. In Exodus 16, we see the foreshadowing of the incarnation of Christ by the provision of the bread from heaven. In Exodus 17, we see the foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Christ by the striking of the rock. You see, Christ must descend from heaven to earth if he is to become the bread of life to his people. And he is to be the water, if he is to be the water of life, then he must be the substitute who is struck with his own divine judgment. This is why the first rock was to be struck. But the second is to be spoken to in Numbers chapter 20. The second rock is an elevated rock. It's the Hebrew word that that means an elevated rock. You see, it's the rock that is not to be struck. That has already been foreshadowed. The second rock is a triumphant rock. It's the triumphant rock of Christ. Moses need only to speak to this rock. Yes, the substitute has suffered divine judgment and has been raised and ascended to the right hand of God the Father where He is interceding on our behalf. Church, we need only to speak to Him. We need only to rest in Him, to meditate on Him, to speak to Him. For there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and he has brought peace. We can come to him with boldness and confidence. He is not only our peace, but he is our provision. We need only to speak to him. To rest in him. You see, the wilderness may be woeful. The wilderness may be wearisome, but it's where we realize the wonderful wisdom of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. Many moons ago, I heard this poem. Not grace to bar would not as bliss, nor flights from all distress than this. The grace that orders our troubling pain is there in darkness. And there to sustain. Church, may we grasp our Lord, that our Lord tests us by giving us woeful wilderness experiences. May we grasp the meaning and the insight in these woeful wilderness experiences. But you see, He tests us in His goodness and mercy. He does this not that we may pass his test by ourselves. No, he does this that we may realize that he has completed it by his work. Amen.